0: Did you know? Uh, um, uh, I was gonna say uh, um, uh, a group of uh, what bird is it? It's Some bird. Is it blue jay? Peacock. No. What are you gonna say? Starling. Gonna say? Woodpeckers. <laughs> Woodpeckers. Thank you. Yes. Oh really? <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> from all of our separate apartments, and welcome to The Poet Salon, a podcast where we talk to poets over a drink we've prepared especially for them. I'm Gabrielle, wash your hands, Bates.
2: I'm Doogee, stay the fuck at home, Taha.
0: I'm Luther, drink three boxes of wine, (laughs) Hughes.
1: Great. In last week's episode, we talked with Paisley Rectal about Ovid, editing the Best American Poetry Anthology, and narrative arcs. In this week's episode, she's brought in a poem by someone else for us to read and talk about. Paisley chose Black Swan by my personal patron saint, Bridget Pagin Kelly, which you can find and read at poets.org. So wash those hands. Pour yourself a nice goblet of wine or sweet tea or straight (laughs) Everclear, (laughs) whatever your favorite quarantine beverage is these days, and get your ears to buckle their little seatbelts because here we go.
3: Black Swan by Bridget Pegeen Kelly. I told the boy I found him under a bush. What was the harm? I told him he was sleeping and that a black swan slept beside him, the swan's feathers hot, the scent of the hot feathers and of the bushes hot white flowers as rank and sweet as the stewed milk of a goat. The bush was in a strange garden a place so old it seemed to exist outside of time. In one spot, great stone steps leading nowhere. In another, statues of horsemen posting giant stone horses along a high wall. And here were triangular beds of flowers flush with red flowers. And there, circular beds flush with white and in every bush and bed flew small birds and the cries of small birds. I told the boy I looked for him a long time, and when I found him, I watched him sleeping, his arm around the swan's moist neck, the swan's head tucked fast behind the boy's back, the feathered breast and the bare breast breathing as one. And then very swiftly and without making a sound so that I would not wake the sleeping bird, I picked the boy up and slipped him into my belly, the way one might slip something stolen into a purse and brought him here. And so it was. And so it was. A child with skin so white it was not like the skin of a boy at all, but like the skin of a newborn rabbit, or like the skin of a lily, pulseless and thin. And a giant bird with burning feathers. And beyond them both, the pond of incredible blackness, overarched with ancient trees and patterned with shifting shades, the small wind in the branches making a sound like the knocking of a thousand wooden bells. Things of such beauty. But still, I might have forgotten, had not the boy, who stands now to my waist, his hair a cap of shining feathers, come to me today weeping because some older boys had taunted him and torn his new coat, coat had he not when I bent my head to his head said softly but with great anger I wish I had never been born I wish I were back under the bush which made the old garden rise up again shadowed and more strange small birds running fast and the grapple of chill coming on there was the pond half circled with trees and there the flowerless bush but there was no swan there was no black swan. And beneath the sound of the wind, I could hear, dark and low, the giant stone hooves of the horses striking and striking the hardening ground. <laughs> I know. Uh. I know. Uh. I know.
0: Do <laughs> uh. <laughs> you, um,. Can you tell us? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Should we all just have a cigarette now? <laughs>
3: <Yes>. <laughs> Can you uh, kind of
0: tell us uh, why you chose this poem to talk about today?
3: Well, it was a tough call, actually, because there's so many of her poems that I adore. Um, just so many of them. and But one of the reasons I chose this one is because this whole... Last few years, I've been thinking so much, obviously, about myth and thinking about rewriting myths. And one of the things I just adore about her poems is the way that she creates the space for the mythic without actually delving into any known myth Mm -hmm. or fable. Um, So she creates a kind of personal mythology that is um, kind of strangely pre-Christian and strangely Christian in other ways um, that feels incredibly real at the same time you know it's not real. And it's I it's an impossible thing to, to do in some mm-hmm. respect, which is to take something ordinary. I mean, you could there is something mundane at the heart of this, which mm-hmm. is, you know, the kid comes home from school and he's been teased and he's been harassed by other kids at school. But the way in which you know his own origin story gets you know woven into this, um, and the way it feels both familiar and just surreal. But I believe everything about it. It it it's almost impossible to talk about. It. And also the ways that the poem repeats so many phrases, so many images. Um, and it's funny because it reminds me of one of my favorite books of poetry from when I was a young a youngun. House on Marshland by Louise Glick, and there's actually Mm -hmm. a high amount of repetition in there too, and she's another poet that works a lot with mythology and something Mm like that, and there's something really incantatory about repetition, and Mm -hmm. Kelly and Glick's work really remind me of that. When you repeat these things, it starts to take on an otherworldly kind of sensation and meaning.
1: Mm. I love how she repeats words and then mutates it slightly so it'll be like feathers feathers Mm -hmm. flowers flowers or Mm -hmm. you know flush flush bush it's Mm -hmm. like it's it's echoing it's repeating and then it's echoing and oh it's just so rich sonically
2: and the and so it was and so it was yeah like you know the height of that moment and i'm really struck by repetition too in terms of um like re sort of mythologizing or you know black swan is sort mm-hmm. of a repetition insofar so far like it's, it re constitutes the, the <laughs> you know the portion of uh, swan lake mm-hmm. yeah. way, right mm-hmm. um like it is uh, itself already a repetition and so like then within that poem to like do that feels like really yeah
3: yeah you can't help but feel like you're speaking to all these other poems about swans and yeah. and cultural signifiers of swans, right? There's that that fable of the twelve dancing princesses. At one point, they become swans. There's uh, Yeats's uh, Leda in the Swan, but then also um, the Wild Swans at Cool, which to me kind of gets referenced very very slightly because of the that poem is an elegy for lost life. The swans, you know, go beating off into the air, <laughs> and here we've got this idea of these horses striking and striking the hardening ground. You get this sense of a kind of death image at the end too so i think that's there's something elusive and elusive at the same time about those swans which is it plugs into the other things we think of with swans but not to it's not exactly rep, replicating any of those other images of swans at all
0: yeah i'm really taken by the word and in the poem yeah like and then and there like this is it's propelling us forward in a way that i can't quite put my finger on like i can't understand how this is working but it's working so well and I just not a moment in the poem I'm thinking like why she keeps saying and so much but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm so I'm so like intrigued by the spell of the word and um in the poem and it just keeps pushing us and pushing us and pushing us into these repetition moments where we're like I'm kind of this in this wave of what's going on, and you can't really shake it because you're the ands are pushing us in this way back and forth and back and forth, and it's just so beautiful in that way.
3: I think that's a great way of talking about going to syntax for a moment. I always have my students pay attention to syntax in poems and. I usually give them two terms. One is hypotaxis and one is parataxis. Mm -hmm. Hypotaxis is a lot of subordination, lots and lots of clauses, very, you know, Henry James comes to mind, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But parataxis is what we're talking about here, which is and, 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 and. And one of the effects of hypotaxis is subordination. You have to think about hierarchies. But one of the things about parataxis is endurance. Mm -hmm. It asks us to keep going and going and going and going. And... uh, (laughs) And there it is. <laughs> but, but I think that that, that parataxical aspect of this poem creates this incredible, for me, sense of um, mystery, like mm-hmm. what's going to come next? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and no part of the poem is more important than another, right? Because you just mm-hmm. keep getting pushed to the next bit of information. It's really good for storytelling, yeah
2: Yeah, and it's um, that sort of flattening effect, the parataxic. Gold star. I mean I, I'm just thinking of that in relation to that first line right mm-hmm. I told the boy I found him under a bush which is like feels like the mystery like the central mystery in some ways and mm-hmm. the and is like the thing that you sort of it, it's important in conveying and sort of explaining explicating that first line um and yeah it, I guess I suppose like to flip it if it were more um if there were more clauses and there was a sort mm-hmm. of hierarchy then then that first line sort of get might get lost right exactly
3: she she's a master i spent a lot of time thinking about her syntax and just her narrative abilities where she's able to isolate a really great image and she will often isolate it in terms of its syntax is a simple declarative sentence mm-hmm. and then then you'll get some longer sentences and then you'll go back to something shorter again and longer again and it creates this tension as the poem builds and then contracts and expands and contracts and expands but it's always about you know finding that one detail you know when we get to that moment and so it was and so it was right that's a nice just pause after all of that other information is flooded through.
1: I love how, and I may maybe the only person who reads it this way, or maybe everyone does. Uh, I read this poem as taking, you know, this like goofy, almost cliche idea of like the stork brought you. Exactly. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's like this silly, seemingly totally harmless, you know, myth for, for lack of a better word uh, in our culture. And, but is making it so dark and so dangerous. She's really mm-hmm. drawing out the the danger of those sorts of stories and and what we tell young children and and the power that mm-hmm. is there and, and I just I adore that as you know, a prompt a move to like take a, a scrap of language that floats around this you know, cliche idea and doing this to it yeah you know like this can be hiding in it it reminds mm. me of like etymologies it's like what's hiding beneath words what's mm-hmm. hiding beneath these stories, these phrases. It
2: it really heightens to the moment um, of maybe it's just because my little, uh, my son is (laughs) having a moment at school. Mm. Um, But like that sentence, just I wish I had never been born. Like it really heightens like what is an otherwise like fairly mundane sort of statement coming from a small child. And it sort of, it makes you realize like how just like the depth of, Mm. (laughs) you know, what that child is saying. They don't know (laughs) that they're saying, you know
0: yeah that that line right there the other child speaking and wishing he was never born it's so obviously so powerful but it's powerful i think because it's the boy is called boy and not son yeah. like the boy is like taken out of the family yeah. and is seen as a, a thing a, a mundane a person just out and about in the world who doesn't really know anything that besides being bullied by their kids right and so it it be, the myth becomes bigger than the boy itself yeah. it becomes a myth of like living itself right and so yeah. that alone is that was to make that line so like heart- disheartening because it's like, you don't know what you're saying, but then again, you're just a boy mm-hmm. to, yeah. uh, to all of us.
1: Well, it's like the story that the mother has told him has put a distance between them. Right. Yeah, You know, instead of telling him how he was born when yeah. being of her, mm-hmm. she has told him this story that then makes him feel distant from her and makes mm-hmm. her feel distant from him, at least in the syntax of mm-hmm. the yeah.
3: poem. And it go. I go back to you know, that stork story that you brought up too, right? When we think about the stork as delivering the child, right? And that that story is all about the sort of, you know, taking away the dirtiness of sex, right? But here, there's no dirtiness of sex either, but there's a violation when she says, I stole the boy from mm. this swan, right? Yeah. Like this idea that she knows she's doing something and then slips him into her own body, right? There's this really interesting way in which um, if we think about... Uh, the, trying to clean up or, or speak to those other myths that are sanitizing certain aspects of life, she sort of makes it dark again, mm-hmm. right? Going back to something you are saying. but um, But I love what you also said about the boy is not called son. And the boy has no name, right? Mm-hmm. So he attains this kind of mythic quality that keeps him also so special, so isolated from that. Mother even is valued, but at the same time, like this archetypal boy who is you know, just out there.
2: And he's called upon as boy in I think what is the most complex sentence of the poem, Mm. right? There are just so many clauses, you know, um, but still I might have forgotten, comma, had not the boy who stands now to my waist, his hair, a cap of shining feathers come to me today, weeping because of some other boys. And just like, Mm it keeps going. It includes the line that he says too, right? Yeah. Which is interesting, which then is like a really interesting move in terms of, you know, if that sort of subjunctive is creating a kind of hierarchy um, in the context of like a flattening mythology and like Mm. not even, even the move, the difference I think between boy and son is like a kind of like removal of hierarchy there, right? Mm. Like it is Mm -hmm. less, it is still important because they're a boy, but not because they're my son, you know, in yeah. some way. Yeah. um And so, yeah, that tension is like really, I, th- I think, really striking at that moment. Yeah,
3: because in that moment, he's literally folded into all of this other information exactly. that is more that we have to pay more attention to, yeah. you know, than yeah. the relationship itself. Yeah. You
0: know? Yeah. Even even the point where um she starts like naming him as like the skin, like the skin, of, like a rabbit, or like these mm-hmm. other things, right? Like turning him into all these other things, and like. Making sure that we know yes, he has the way, but also he's all these other mythics that we yeah. know to, and come to love, right? But I, re- I really love before that that and and brought him here, and then the dot 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 mm-hmm. right? Like and I brought him here into this poem to tell you how 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 mythic he possibly is. Yeah, I just love that.
3: Yeah, I mean her work throughout is is so. It's strange because um, like she really creates an entire world like we, from the very first book like in the place of the trumpets I think is the title mm-hmm. to Orchard and she I think she only published four books in her entire yeah. you know mm-hmm. oeuvre right and she spent a lot of time like almost 15 16 years between books um, there's a, a world-building aspect to her poetry that never felt exhausted. Like, mm-hmm. all of us as poets have subjects we go back to, symbols that are private and public, and we just keep going back and back. And sometimes we exhaust them, but she never did, right? Like, you read Song, which I think is just a masterful book, and The Orchard, and, y- you know, they're different books at the same time. They're definitely the same kind of world-building, where we're we're in these archetypal, very symbolic worlds. But... And, you know, but we, I see a landscape around her. I know that she lives close to a graveyard and I get a sense of what that graveyard looks like, you know, um, there's clearly a lot of deer that she runs (laughs) into all of the time. Right. And, um, and it's fantastic how she takes these small, you know, neighborhood kind of details and turns them into something just epic, um, in their symbolism.
1: Mm. One fun fact that I learned from getting a copy of her first book, there's, on the inside jacket flap, it has, I mean, the most written about her that I've ever really seen, or nonfiction written by her. Mm-hmm. Um, and she talks about how she creates like an abstract painting that goes along with like all of her poems
3: oh, oh that's interesting yeah. <laughs> like
1: like a particular sort of color scape that she associates with huh. each poem at least in that first book which yeah. I found fascinating and I just wanted to share that
2: I would like to go to that exhibit I <laughs> would like to <laughs> see no, <that> too. <laughs> I
3: wish so badly so that's funny I didn't know that and because I've actually been working very privately on a thing called I'm calling Callens which is a series of visual poems that actually accompany different poems that I have written that I like and they actually they're like little shadow boxes filled with kind of drawn images so but I I, yeah I didn't know she did that you know like she actually had a visual component I don't know why that makes sense to me but I do think maybe it has something to do with narrative maybe it has Mm -hmm. to do with okay there's in order for me to construct these very complex kinds of stories, mm-hmm. I have to think about what are the images that actually hook them together. Yeah. And um, because they are image driven narratives, yeah. Yeah. right? Like a statue <laughs> appears, that statue's going to do something. It's mm-hmm. not just, there's no incidental object, if that makes any sense, yeah, totally. that the objects really push the narrative of the sense. poems each yeah. time. The swan, the stone horses, the boy, all of that. Yeah, the lake yeah. even, which comes back again. Mm-hmm. The dark, dark pond. And, mm-hmm. oh. and hmm. I think
1: even the really mysterious ones that on a first read, you might not understand what narrative work it's doing. I fully trust that if given enough thought, meaning and resonance will emerge from that. Like these triangular beds of red flowers. Yeah. Like I don't necessarily know what that, is doing right off the bat, but like I, I have associations, you know, yeah, with the color red and with the sharp geometric
3: shapes of triangles mm-hmm. and. Um, it gives it a medieval yeah. flair, right? Yeah. Um, the the idea of these particular beds done in this ge- geometric kind of design, and of course, rose white and. Uh, Rose Red is a kind of fam- uh, famous fairy tale. And yeah, there's lots of roses as well, right? But the roses also carry like a uh, Christian symbolism too, right? Um, and, and English history, the red war between the roses and, and all that sort of stuff. So there's all these different ways that it, it, these poems kind of suggest but never definitively make us go in one particular direction. But we end up having this very archetypal kind of response to these poems. They feel like they're something ancient, but also really contemporary at the same time. And Mm -hmm. that contemporary stuff, I think, is done, like with that use of the dialogue, I wish it was never born. We can all recognize that because we literally all heard that. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. She's an almost impossible poet to... um, to duplicate in any kind of way <laughs> I love that about too. yeah but she stole the goat no one can put a goat in their poems about ah, hearing it yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah you're sure. just like sure. done it's the yep. goat the goat is hers yep. yeah, forever is and forever.
0: ever and the word song is forever her like yeah you can't do
3: it I will say this also I mean I find it uh, kind of ironic that we're having this um, conversation about her poems on a podcast because I know a lot of people. Asked to do interviews with her on websites yeah, and podcasts, and she would have none of it. Yeah. She was an extraordinarily private person. And um, I met her one time. I don't know if you guys have ever met her, but I she didn't was. Get to... um, she, you could tell she read everything um, and she knew who everyone was, but she had absolutely no interest in playing yeah. in any <laughs> of the. Yeah. She did no
1: interviews. <laughs> she did
3: or, nothing it. to promote herself in that kind of way. And I, I find that as I get older myself as a poet, that is the most fascinating and dangerous thing to do, I think, as a poet, because um, when I've taught her work, I decided to do, you know, like a little quick deep dive to see if I could find um, articles written about her. And there's not a lot of scholarship about her work. And there's not a lot of stuff out there that she left as a sort of trail. Um, She was really risking a lot, I think, in not pushing for some more exposure to her work as, you know, as private as she was to protect, I think, the um the delicacy of the creation of those poems um so i'm i'm glad we are talking about her work because mm-hmm. i do worry that um and i'm heartened to see you know you, you young people love <laughs> her work <'cause, laughs> i mean i i know i've had many students i'll say her name too and they have never yeah. heard of yeah. her
1: it wasn't until grad school that i yeah, heard of her
3: it's so, scary yeah. yeah there's some mm-hmm. wonderful poets out there that could get easily lost and yeah. so i just don't want her to be lost
1: Yeah. amen
2: Time for my favorite part of the show, where we thank whatever got us here. Big gratitude to Paisley, who saloned with us many months ago, even when she could have been hanging out with her family. Gratitude especially for bringing in Bridget McGee and Kelly, whose poems we've somehow not yet had on the show.
1: How was that possible? Who knows?
2: <laughs> While we're giving shout outs, I'd like to shout out my immune system, vitamin C, oregano oil, cold showers, technology that allows us to stream television where and whenever we'd like, and the OG streaming technology, books. Shout out too, to non-perishable food items like rice, beans and kimchi. My true day ones. And as always, big thanks to the Flavor Blue for music that'll keep you company through the end of the world. And lastly, lastly, thank you. Please wash your hands. <laughs> wash your hands right the fuck now. <laughs> if you go right now, you can time how long you should be washing your hands for as long as the rest of the outro music goes. There's a treat at the end for you too. Oh no. Don't forget to rate and review us wherever you listen. Follow us on Twitter at Pod and send along some questions to Pod at gmail.com. Be well, y'all.
3: Bye. wally, bang, bang. While the world is falling, we can maintain. full origami, making crane cranes. Got a thousand wishes on my brain, brain. i Put salt in the water when I'm cooking up the pasta Trying to keep me quiet but you know it's gonna cost ya Cause I cook them proper, redder than a lobster Got mate, bait, but my mama was a mobster You wanna wait and as this gonna show you these hands, gonna take on these streets, gonna show you who's mass, cause my crew, mob Sedi. Feddy and spaghetti, Feddy and spaghetti, Feddy and the
1: Whew. Oh my gosh. I was drinking the other night and reading this Marcus Aurelius, and I caught myself marking, <laughs> like you do <laughs> marking moments of iambic pentameter in it. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Was Fucking
0: like,
2: dork.
1: Literally what? is such a dork. I'm losing my mind. I hate myself.
0: <laughs> that sounds like something you would do after just trashing was, everything about prosody. You start doing It was start, deeply
1: <laughs> upsetting. I think I think my subconscious was trying to make up for it.
0: <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. I was, I hated Shakespeare like, and then I love Shakespeare.
1: You do know something. <laughs> <laughs>